Have you been blessed so far this morning? God is doing wonderful things in this church. I'm so glad to see each and every one of you here. And it's such a blessing to see about 30 plus of you on Wednesday night at prayer meeting. And it's so exciting to see how God is answering those prayers, how God is moving in this church. And I'm just so excited to see what he does in the future. I'm so excited to see how he answers your prayers from last week as you've begun maybe for the first time more earnestly praying for your kids or just continuing on and praying for your kids, praying for them more than ever because God will answer our prayers. When we humble ourselves and we come before him in prayer, he answers prayer. So as I uh, begin the message this morning, I'd like to have another word of prayer. Father, we've been so blessed already this morning as we focused on you, on worshiping you in songs and heard the beautiful trumpet music and how it had lifted up Jesus. Lord, we've already been blessed But we're not satisfied until you come by the power of your Holy Spirit and you change our hearts. That you speak to us through your word, that you move on us in a transformational way. Lord, we want to walk out of the doors of this church different people than the ones that walked in. More determined to follow Jesus with our whole hearts. Lord, this is a miracle that only you can work. So we ask that you would come, that you would be here through the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would touch our hearts. And then we would walk out of here saying, the only thing I can say is that I have met with Jesus. Thank you for being here. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. It was a few years before I was born. My brother, he's seven years older than me. At the time, he was three years old. And my mom, uh, some, someday, hopefully, you'll get to hear her testimony. But at the time, she found herself as a single mom because her first husband, who was a pastor, had passed away in a swimming pool. Well, this day, she'd gone out to the curb to take the trash out. And she left my little brother Tyson inside just as she walked out to the curb real quickly to set the, the trash on the curb. She set the trash there, and as she was doing that, a neighbor came over and started to talk to her. And so she didn't know how long passed, but it didn't seem very long that she was there talking with the neighbor. And then she walked back inside the house. As she opened the front door of the house, she looked around, and the Christmas tree had been torn down. And there was my little brother, and he was just crying in a heap on the floor. He was distraught. He said, Mommy, where were you? The poor three-year-old. It it seemed like an eternity to to him, even though it probably hadn't been very long that mom was just out taking the trash out, but he had separation anxiety. He couldn't stand the thought of being separated from his mom, and so he'd gone to the front door, and he tried the door handle, and he tried to get out through the garage, and he just couldn't get out, and so finally, in his distress, he just torn the Christmas tree down. You know, when you love somebody, you just want to be with them. You just want to be as close as possible. You have this earnest desire to be as close as possible. That's what you find in the disciples' lives. From the very first disciples who followed Jesus, when when John the Baptist is there and he sees Jesus in the crowd, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus' first two disciples, they immediately leave John, who they've been following so faithfully, and they immediately walk after Jesus, and they begin to follow Jesus, and Jesus turns around and says, can I help you? They say, well, where are you staying? (laughs) They just wanted to be with Jesus, and they went, and they spent 
from then on for three and a half years, they were with Jesus. You read about disciple after disciple. Those who were fishing left everything behind. Those who were tax collectors, they just immediately left their jobs. They left everything they were doing. They just wanted to follow Jesus because Jesus was wonderful. You know, and he is wonderful. (laughs) But to walk with Jesus on earth, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be one of the disciples. Can you? Can you imagine living with Jesus on a daily basis? Somebody who would never, ever mistreat you. Somebody who had only infinite goodness and love to pour into your life. Somebody who would never treat you, never, never have an unkind word for you. Somebody who would never get upset with you. Somebody who always had wise counsel for you. Somebody who could calm every storm that you came up against. Heal every disease that you might have. Feed you when you had no food. To be with Jesus was incredible. So you can imagine three and a half years walking in the footsteps of Jesus. How incredibly attached the disciples were to Jesus. Jesus was everything to them. All they could think about was to follow Jesus. They left everything else just to be with Jesus on a daily basis. So can you imagine the heartache that came into their lives when they heard the words of Jesus in John chapter 16? Thank you, Karma, for the scripture reading. John chapter 16 and verse 5. Jesus breaks some news to them that he's been trying to get across to them that they, they can't really grasp because they just don't want to. You know how it is when somebody tries to tell you something and you're just hoping for something different and so you really don't want to believe them. And Jesus keeps trying to tell them this is what's going to take place and they just don't want to accept it because they just want Jesus. They want to be close to Jesus. They want to have their master around. They want him to continue providing for them. John chapter 16 and verse 5, it says, But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I can only imagine the amount of separation anxiety, the amount of sorrow that the disciples were feeling, thinking about what Jesus was saying, not being able to comprehend it. Jesus is leaving? What are we going to do? We left our jobs. We left everything to follow Jesus. And now he says he's leaving? Where's he going? What's going on? Sorrow filled their hearts. They had such heartache. They had such separation anxiety. So knowing this, can you imagine what Jesus says next in verse 7? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. When Jesus tells us this, we can know that this is for real. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage. Can you imagine being one of the 12 disciples and sitting there thinking, okay, Jesus just said he's leaving and he just told us that it's to our advantage. It's better for us that he left. Did you know that Jesus says the same thing to you today? Did you know that the fact is that if Jesus were sitting right here in the pew, actually he wouldn't be sitting there, we'd have him preaching, wouldn't we? If Jesus in his physical body were here in this church today, it wouldn't be as good for us as what we can currently have today. That's what Jesus says. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. The fact that I'm leaving is going to make your life so much better. Because he goes on to say this. Verse 7 continues. 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. That word there for helper, some versions translate it as comforter. It's the word paraclete, meaning one called alongside to help. Jesus says, I'm going to send the one who's going to come alongside you, the one that's going to help you. But here's the thing. Do the disciples want anything like this? When they're there and they're with Jesus and Jesus is there in the room, they're not thinking about wanting the Holy Spirit. They don't have any desire to have the Holy Spirit in their lives. The Holy Spirit's just as available before Jesus is resurrected as on the day of, uh, as, as on the day of Pentecost when he finally comes with power. But they didn't appreciate it. They didn't really want the Holy Spirit until Jesus departed. That was the benefit. That was the advantage. When Jesus went away, not only did, was power poured out in heaven because of the sacrifice of Christ, but power was poured out because the disciples finally wanted what Jesus had to offer them. They finally wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They finally recognized something that it was good to have Jesus in the room. But the problem was when Jesus was just in the room, what did the disciples end up doing? They were constantly fighting about, okay, so who's going to sit next to Jesus? Who's going to be on the right side? Who's going to be on the left side? All they could do was fight with each other. They didn't let Jesus really transform their heart until Jesus went away and they said, okay, Jesus, we need you through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to actually come and live inside of us. We need you, Jesus. And when they fell on their faces and they prayed in the upper room for 10 days, earnestly seeking the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, then Jesus came closer to them than they could have ever had before. Jesus just being in the room wasn't enough. Having Jesus in the heart, having the Holy Spirit filling them, now that is powerful. Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus said this many times in the Gospels. He, he, he promised joy. In John 15, he said that uh, I have spoken these things to you so that you may have my joy and that your joy may be made full. Jesus again and again said, be of good cheer. There's seven times where Jesus says, be of good cheer. When he healed somebody or after he was resurrected and he came back to the disciples and they were terrified when he showed up, he said, be of good cheer. It's me. Be of good cheer. Be full of joy. Let not your heart be troubled. This was the constant theme of Jesus' ministry, trying to bring this peace, trying to bring them comfort in the midst of chaos. Yet they didn't really get it until the helper, the one called alongside to help, finally came in and was really a part of their hearts when they received him at Pentecost. I went on a mission trip about 10 years ago to Kenya, Africa. And on this mission trip, we were doing a three-week evangelistic series where we were going to be sharing about the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, and they had already pre-organized our sites. We were speaking in different places. Well, mine was in this uh, pasture right next to a river, and when I got there, my pastor, who was supposed to have everything set up for Friday night to begin, he told me, no, there's no way that we're going to have everybody there. It hasn't been announced. We can't get 
every, the word out in time, so we're going to have to start at church time on Sabbath. So I said, okay, but that meant the rest of the groups who were doing their own evangelistic meetings in different parts of, of Kenya would, would be gone that evening, so I just had the afternoon, Friday afternoon, to myself. So I was there in the hotel for a little while, and then I thought, you know what, I'm going to go out and see what Kisi Kenya is like. I'm just going to go around the town and, and see, see, what, see what everything is like here. Well, I walked into the hotel lobby, and I waved to the, the front desk, and then as I walked out of the hotel, I was walking out into the street when one of the girls behind the desk, she said, wait, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm just going out to see the town. She said, you're, you're going out by yourself? I said, yeah. I mean, I'm 21, 22 years old. It's, or no, I guess it was 20 years old. It's no problem. She said, hang on just a minute. She picked up the phone and she called a friend. Then she hung up the phone and she said, okay, I've called a friend and he's going to come and he's going to pick you up and he's going to take you around town. He's going to come alongside you and he's going to help you out. I said, why? She said, just just trust me. You don't want to go out there by yourself. You need somebody to go with you. You know, I'd been in a tourist shop and, and I'd bought a little pocket knife and as a 20 year old I thought I was safe I had my pocket knife in my pocket I thought you know if anybody comes after me I'll take the pocket knife out and scare him away but she knew the dangers that I was going to face she knew that I needed somebody to be with me somebody to be a guide to me somebody to be a helper but the problem was I didn't recognize that being alone was a problem You know, as little kids, we understand that we need our parents around. We're terrified to think that anything might happen to our parents. We we recognize our need to have somebody with us. But as we get older, we become a little more self-sufficient. We begin to be able to handle life. And little by little, we forget that incredible need to be dependent upon somebody. We forget how much we need Jesus in our lives. and, And we forget what he can really do to have his presence and power in our lives. I know this because in Revelation 3, it says something, something very challenging to you and I. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. And it talks about a group of people that will be living at the end. Revelation chapter 3, in verse 14, it says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write this. Laod, meaning from the Greek word laos, for peoples, and decia, meaning judgment. So the people of the judgment. Write this to the people of the judgment. Are we people living in the times of the judgment? We're people on the very cusp of the end of time. We're living during the investigative judgment. We're living at a time like no other time in history. And so this message, more than any other message of the seven churches, is to us. These things, says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Notice here it says, I know your works. They're doing things. They're doing good things even. But they're not cold and they're not hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. The Laodiceans feel just fine. They feel like they have it all together. They feel like being on their own is okay. The problem is they don't recognize something about themselves. But it goes on to say this. 
and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You don't realize how wretched your life really is. You don't realize how miserable you are. Because as we get to the end of the message, Jesus, where is Jesus in this story? Jesus is knocking at the door. He's outside of their hearts. He hasn't yet come in. He's pounding outside saying, will you let me in? You know, when my brother got a little bit older, he soon had a little brother who constantly wanted to be around him. And I used to go to his door. I remember he must have been maybe 10 years old or 11 years old, and I was only just this four-year-old. And I didn't understand what went on behind his door, why he had to have the door shut and I couldn't be in there. I wanted to play with him. So I remember going to the door and just pounding on the door, Tyson, Tyson, will you let me in? And I'd pound and I'd yell until finally he'd open the door and tell me to go away. (laughs) Couldn't handle his little brother. There was just too much. Uh, He was a very good brother to me. He did a lot of good things for me. But sometimes you just needed space from little brother. But sometimes we get our space from Jesus. We, we kind of put him off and we feel like we're doing just fine. We're in church each Sabbath. We're reading our Bibles. We're praying in the mornings. We're, we're having this okay experience. And we don't recognize that Jesus is knocking at the door of our hearts. He's saying, I want to come closer to you. I want to come a little bit deeper into your experience. I want to have a part of every aspect of your life. I'm longing to fill you with my presence. I want you to receive the Holy Spirit in a fuller way. But the Laodiceans, they feel fine. We're okay. I mean, we know the truth. We, we know about the state of the dead. We know about the Sabbath. I mean, we worship on Saturday. We have it all together. But Jesus is outside the door knocking, saying, won't you let me in? Let's continue reading. Verse 19 says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is outside the door knocking. And what does he say? He says, those whom I love, I rebuke. Those whom I love, I chasten. You know, sometimes it takes a little bit of rebuke, a little bit of chastening in our lives to recognize the miserable condition that we're really in without Jesus. Because we get used to going through life. We get used to going on our own. And we forget the joy that Jesus really wants to fill our hearts with. We forget what it would really be like to be filled with more of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus gives such incredible promises. Like in John chapter 14, in verse 27, I love the promises that Jesus gives us and how incredible to have these things in our lives. John 14 and verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now I know this promise is here. And yet I have to confess, even just this last week, there was a day when my heart was troubled. 
When I was going through the day and as I was thinking about these different things that were going on and wanting to see greater things happening, wanting to see God do bigger things, I began to become troubled. I began to become doubtful. I began to say, God, what is going on? Why are these things happening? And I forget that Jesus is knocking at the door saying, won't you let me in? You know, sometimes that angst, we, we misinterpret it. We don't recognize it. We, in fact, get so used to it, just like the Laodiceans who they feel like they're fine. And really, Jesus says, no, you're not. You're miserable. I want to give you peace. I want to give you fullness of joy. I want to satisfy your life. I want to fill you with my Holy Spirit. But they're saying, I'm fine. They don't really recognize how miserable they are. But I've come to realize that when in my life I feel a little down, that's just separation anxiety. I'm just feeling that tug. I'm feeling that knock on the door of my heart. Hey, Zach, do you recognize I'm outside the door right now? Won't you invite me in? Won't you plead for the Holy Spirit to come in your life? You need the helper. You need the paraclete to come in and to fill your heart. Nobody satisfies like Jesus satisfies. When that person at work is grating on your feelings and you're just ready to strangle them, <laughs> Jesus is knocking and he's saying, you got a little separation anxiety. You want me to come in? I'll change your feelings. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I'll give you love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I'll fill you with all of these good things. These are the promises that Jesus gives us and yet we rest satisfied without actually having this. Why? Why do we fall short of what God wants for us? Why do we accept the status quo? Why are we willing to not have all that Jesus has promised us? As I was preparing and praying through this sermon, I realized that God was speaking to me and he's saying, Zach, you need more of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know why you were feeling dissatisfied? It's because you didn't have the fullness of Jesus in your heart. You know why you were feeling frustrated with this situation? It's because you need more of the Holy Spirit in your life. You tend to get satisfied. You tend to think that you're okay. You tend to want to just coast along and continue in your experience thinking, this is what it's all about. I already have my Christian walk. I've been doing this for years now. But he says, I have more for you. Proverbs 18 says that the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter until the full day. Each day a little bit brighter. Each day a little bit more of Jesus. He wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. I love in Acts of the Apostles where it describes the gift of the Spirit. If you have time, read the entire chapter in the Acts of the Apostles called the gift of the Spirit. But on page 50, it says this. The lapse of time has wrought no change in Christ's parting promise to send the Holy Spirit as his representative. It is not because of any restriction on the part of God that the riches of his grace do not flow earthward to men. If the fulfillment of the promise is not seen as it might be. It is because the promise is not appreciated as it should be. If all were willing, all would be filled with the Holy Spirit. If I was willing, I could have all the fullness of joy that Jesus is promising me. But I'm satisfied. I'm distracted. I'm too Laodicean. 
It goes on to say this, wherever the need of the Holy Spirit is a matter little thought of. How often do I think about, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit? How often am I going through my week thinking, well, you know why I'm having this issue? You know why my heart is burdened, why I'm troubled? It's because I should be pleading for more of the Holy Spirit. Wherever the need of the Holy Spirit is a matter little thought of, there is seen spiritual drought, spiritual darkness, spiritual declension, and death. Wherever, whenever minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power which is necessary for the growth and prosperity of the church and which would bring all other blessings in its train is lacking, though offered in infinite plenitude. Jesus is saying, I have this incredible gift to offer you, but we're not even thinking about it. Minor matters occupy our attention. We're thinking about this or that, or what can we do? How can we accomplish things more? And Jesus is saying, I can handle your problems. Just ask for the Holy Spirit. Plead for the Holy Spirit. And so we were just talking this last week about wanting to go as a church on a journey of seeking more of the Holy Spirit. Of saying, God, would you fill us with more of your Holy Spirit? We want to journey into what does it really take to be filled with the Holy Spirit? This quote goes on to say, this, Since this is the means by which we are to receive power, why do we not hunger and thirst for the gift of the Spirit? Why do we not talk of it, pray for it, and preach concerning it? Why does this become everything to us? Realizing that we could have Jesus He's outside the door, knocking at the door of our hearts. If we recognize the gift of the Spirit and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, we wouldn't talk about anything else. We wouldn't pray about anything else so much as we pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because nothing matters more than this. We're going to be on this rock for far too long if we don't finally realize our need for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Nothing will change our lives. Nothing will fill us with more joy. Nothing will convince our family, our friends, that it's worth being a Christian like seeing the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. He was a young salesman. Uh, he hadn't started off in too glamorous of a sales job, he started off working in a shoe shop and he was just selling shoes. When one day somebody came into his life and began to have an influence on him, he was converted. After his conversion, all he could think about was telling people about Jesus. And so he left his business of just selling shoes and he began to do ministry. And little by little, he began to be recognized for the ministry that he was doing, and pretty soon he was hired as a pastor, an evangelist. He was working in Chicago. He had this big church in Chicago, and many people were coming to hear the gospel preached, and he was doing a great work for God. From all aspects of his life, if you were to look at him, you would say, well, this man knows Jesus. This man is working for Jesus. If anybody has a relationship with Jesus, it has to be this guy. Well, he tells a story about what took place after this. Listen to the story uh, as I read it. It says, I remember two women who used to come to my meetings. When I began to preach, I could tell by the expression of their faces that they were praying for me. At the close, they would say to me, we have been praying for you. I said, why don't you pray for the people? But they would say to me, they would answer, You need power. I need power? I said to myself, why, I thought I had power. 
I had the largest congregation in Chicago. There were some conversions at the time, and I was in a sense satisfied. He was rich and increased with good. He was convinced that he didn't need anything more. But right along, these two godly women kept praying for me. I asked them to come in and to talk with me, and we got down on our knees. They poured out their hearts that I might receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And there came a great hunger in my soul. I knew not what it was. I began to cry as never before. The hunger increased until I felt that I didn't want to live any longer if I could not have this power for service. I kept on crying all the time that God would fill me with his Holy Spirit. The story goes on as Dwight L. Moody was one day walking down Wall Street in New York City. He was trying to raise funds for his ministry, but he said he couldn't think about anything else. His mind wasn't on the donors. His mind wasn't on his ministry. All he could think about was, God, I must have power from heaven. I must be filled with the Holy Spirit. As he kept praying on that day, walking down Wall Street, he said that he received the Holy Spirit more powerfully than he ever had before. And afterwards, it says, he went, I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I didn't present any new truths. And yet, hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. Dwight L. Moody's ministry, his life, was forever changed by simply pleading for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in his life. Dwight L. Moody went on to travel over a million miles, to preach to over a hundred million people, and to see a million people at least accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. What will Jesus do in your life, in my life, when we finally recognize that we have separation anxiety, we need to be reconnected to the Savior, we need a deeper outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's to our advantage that Jesus has gone away. It was to the advantage for the disciples because if Jesus hadn't have left, they wouldn't recognize their need. They thought that they had everything they needed. They just wanted Jesus to set up a kingdom right there in Jerusalem and set up a throne. And all that they worried about was which side they were going to sit of that throne. But when Jesus went to heaven and they began to humble their hearts and to plead for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, everything changed for them. When the Holy Spirit was poured out in their lives, you don't find Peter anymore trying to cut people's head off with his sword. Instead, you find Peter preaching and 3,000 are baptized because he has received the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it's going to take in my life. I don't know what it's going to take in your life. But I know that we need to focus on receiving the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you just for this week to pray this simple prayer. God, would you give me more hunger for the Holy Spirit? Would you give me a deeper desire for closeness to you? Would you help me to recognize this separation anxiety that when things are going wrong in my life, that the reason I have angst, the reason I have a troubled heart, the reason I'm depressed or discouraged or upset or sad is not because of the circumstances, but it's because of my separation from the one that brings true joy, the one that brings true peace. And I must have more of Jesus. I must be filled with the Holy Spirit.
want to encourage you to go on a journey of seeking the Holy Spirit with all of your heart because there's nothing better than to be close to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're longing for a deeper outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we sing the closing hymn this morning, Lord, we're asking that you would give us a desire to be closer to Jesus, that you would give us a desire to draw nearer and nearer to you. We just want a closer walk with you. Please come close to us. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us a greater hunger, a greater thirst. Lord, may we not just pray in the morning for the Holy Spirit, but may we be crying out for the Holy Spirit as we go throughout our day, every moment of every day. Lord, may we constantly be thinking about wanting to have more of the presence of Jesus in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.